Check one. Can you hear me all right? All right. So, uh, yeah, the music guy's preaching this morning. Isn't that weird? Uh, <laughs> but I'm so excited to do this. I don't get to do this often. It's just a lot of fun for me. Um, you know, most of my preaching is done through the songs written by other people. So it's really fun just digging into God's Word and just get the chance to talk about it. Um, so this morning, if you would open your Bibles to Ephesians 4, 17 through 32, and we're going to read this together. And I know uh, around here we like to stand for the initial reading of God's Word, so when you get to your place, go ahead and stand with me as we read Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one create, created according to God's likeness, in righteousness and purity of the truth. Therefore, put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't, don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands, so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, <clears throat> shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way you have given us your word that we can study it and know you more. God, we ask that you would speak this morning from your word. Lord, that you would give me the um, spirit leading to, you, to handle your word rightly. We ask all this in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. All right, so before we dig into all of that, I just want to take a quick poll. How many of you, when I say the word change, feel like a cold chill down your spine? How many of you, when, you, when I say change, you see that generally, you think, ooh, change, no, yuck. Just feel free to show your hands. Anybody? All right. How many of you are like, ooh, change. I love change. Something new, something exciting. How many of you? All right. And for the vast majority who don't want to answer, it's okay. We'll pray for your souls. Um, <laughs> now, I say that about a lot of things. It's, it's, my wife probably rolled her eyes real hard just now. But anyway, I'm going to prove to you that everyone in here does, in fact, like change. It just kind of depends on the situation. So we're going to go through some slides. Let's look at the first one. All right, anyone know what that is? Outhouse. Now, so, someone says my house still. Uh, all right, now, anybody in here, maybe, maybe some of our seniors at one time, that was the only bathroom available when maybe you're at your parents' or your grandparents' house back in the day. Show of hands. 
All right. Now, was it fun to, in the middle of the night and winter, walk out in the cold, get completely dressed up just so you could go to the bathroom? No, I don't think so. Now, modern bathroom. Is change good? Yeah, I think so. That's much more comfortable, amen? All right, next one. All right, this is a wood-burning stove from the early 1900s. In order to cook, you had to make sure you cut wood, piled it up, had it prepared. When you put it into that oven, it took a very long time to warm up that cast-iron stove to a point that you could cook on it. Now, modern stove. You push a button, it heats up within a few minutes. And if you've already cooked your food, you can put it in the fridge and then nuke it for 45 seconds, and you're good to go for another meal. Now, how many of you would like to go back to the wood-burning stove days? Anyone really? Now, I will say, the wood-burning stoves tend to have a really cool architecture about them, or very kind of classic, and have more of an artistry to their making. But let's face it, I think we'd rather have a modern stove with a cooktop and a microwave, right? All right, let's look at the next one. TV. Back in the day, children, and students, TV was only two colors, black and white. And there was only a few channels that you could watch. And those channels totally stopped at one point in the evening. I'm, I don't remember this, but I remember my grandpa talking about the, the, Indian head the Indian head logo that would come on in the middle of the night that said, no more TV for anybody. <laughs> and a lot of them, you had those antennas that unless you moved them just right or the cat sat on top of the TV just right, the TV wouldn't come through, right? Now, I remember my dad saying they were excited when they got a color TV for the first time on that whopping 19-inch square TV. Now, look at a modern TV. All right. They can be huge. And now, I will admit, there's a lot of junk on TV nowadays that we don't need to be watching. And while it's really nice we have more than four channels, now there's so many channels. I mean, do we really need eight ESPNs? Just saying. Uh, most of the sports are like, nah, we need 10. Um, <laughs> but there's a million channels, and even, you don't even have to hope that something's on TV. Now you can pretty much stream everything. Praise the Lord for streaming, because when our kids are just, they've played in their rooms with all their toys long enough, and they're just driving us bonkers, and we need to be productive, bluey happens. Amen? Or Paw Patrol, or whatever. But it's we don't have to hope it's on. We just stream it right there. They can pick whichever episode they want. It's kind of glorious. Now, it becomes addicting, so that's not necessarily always a good change. But let's face it, anyone really want to go back to this size of screen, three channels in black and white? Not really, no. <laughs> Especially the young folks like, mm, don't wish that evil on me, please. All right, next. Now, again, for you young people, phones used to have cords, and they were hooked to a wall. And you couldn't even push buttons. You had this dial thing. Now, how many of you guys remember having to use the rotary dial at one time? A lot of hands in here. Now, anyone under the age of 35, has anyone under the age of 35 in here ever used a rotary dial to make a phone call? Okay, a few of you. I only remember because for a short time, my grandparents had one. And one time, Grandpa said, hey, I need you to call and order a pizza. I'm like, what? And I started spinning. He's like, you just dialed 911. No. So it was really, it was kind of hard. And if you wanted to know a phone number, you had to look in that big, giant yellow book where teenagers now find this creepy. But at one time, every single person who had a phone had their name, phone number, and address listed free for everyone to see. Nowadays, we think that's kind of creepy. But 
At one time, that was just the norm. You'd thumb through thousands of pages to find that person, hope that they were listed. Now, nowadays, we have a computer in our hands. <laughs> we don't have to look up phone numbers. I don't remember hardly any phone numbers now because it's all just right there. Now, that's probably not always a good thing, but now we can keep track of each other and our families easier. We can make a phone call. If someone's needing to be reached in case of emergency, they don't have to find out about it possibly hours later when they happen to come home to answering machine. You can pretty much reach anybody anytime you want. Good or bad, that's, you know, the world we live in. Now, do some people may say, yeah, I kind of wish we just had a phone book and a rotary dial, but most people would probably rather have the phone available to make calls or to reach their loved ones anytime they want. So there's good and bad, but generally change is good. Next. This was cutting edge video games right here. All right, some of you know what Pong is. Back in the day, the pinnacle of gaming was two bars that went bing, bing, bing. And that was thrilling back in the 60s and 70s. I mean, that was it. People, oh, they were already addicted to video games then. Now, teenagers, does that look exciting? Be honest with yourselves. Randall's saying, mm-mm, nope. All right, next. This is actually a, a screenshot from an actual video game. This isn't like a dude in a suit in a movie. The video games are almost hyper-realistic, and they have so many ways that you can play, and you can connect with friends across national borders. I have friends of mine who are in the military that one of the ways that they keep in contact with their friends is they play games together over headsets online together every weekend, and that's how they continue those friendships and relationships by blowing people up. <laughs> but video games have changed a lot. Now, most, most people in here would probably say that video game on the right looks a lot more fun than the video game on the left. So most of us would say, in terms of video games, change is good, right? All right, this one. We don't welcome the colored. There was a time when churches wouldn't let people of different skin color in their buildings, where people had to use different water fountains, different bathrooms. It's a sad, disgusting time in our history. God created all of us equal. He created us in his image, every skin color. At one time, this was the church in America. But look at it now. Look at all those colors, all those generations. God meant for his church to be multi-generational, multi-racial, to enhance and build up the kingdom here on earth, regardless of skin tones. That's a beautiful change. So, I know that there may be people still today that say, no, that change isn't good. But that change is biblical. And therefore, it is good. So, moving on. Um, I didn't even want to have those side by side because the first one was just too ugly for me. I wanted to get it off the screen as quick as possible. So, before we get into our first step, as we looked at those things, some very meaningless, just little things, some very powerful, life-changing things, change is good. It just, sometimes it's hard. Change is not always good, just change for the sake of change is not necessarily a good thing. We generally want change to take us from one place to a better place, from one place to a more helpful place, a more meaningful place. 
So the change we're going to be talking about today, as evidenced by these scriptures that we read, is not, I'm not here to talk about the change in the church practices overall, or the change in the music. You probably thought that the worship guy was going to start saying, all right, here's how we're going to change all the music. No, that's not it. Today, we're talking about the change in our hearts and what that should look like. So let's dig in. Get my notes here. All right. So the first verses, 17 through 19, Paul points out how the Gentiles don't understand the truth of God's word. Whereas the Jews that he's writing to, he's writing to a group of Jewish believers that they have a knowledge of God because they are Jewish, because they grew up understanding the scriptures that God, Yahweh, had given them in the Old Testament. So looking back at verses uh, 17 through 19, let's just read those again. Therefore I say this, and testifying the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because the, of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. <clears throat> they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire to, for more and more. And we'll continue on uh, on the next point. But here at first, he's not necessarily comparing Gentiles just in terms of lost versus saved. He's talking specifically about those who are the non-Jewish community, that they didn't know God. They, didn't, they grew up with different gods, different idols, and they didn't know the God of Scripture. They didn't know the God of the Old Testament who had freed slaves, who had done miraculous things, who had torn down the idols of man. They just were unknowing of it. And he's talking to this Jewish believer saying, you know, an unchanged life that has not known Christ is in the dark. It's ignorant of the truth. People who are lost don't know Jesus. They don't know what they're missing. An unchanged life is a life that's just waiting for hope, waiting for the truth of Jesus. So now let's look at the changed life in verses 20 and 21. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now I'm going to pause here. Again, Paul's writing to the Christian church in Ephesus. He points out that, there's, um, that they've accepted Christ, that this is a Christian church, that they've accepted the new way. And he reminds them of some of those first steps. He reminds them of what it means to be changed. So, <clears throat> excuse me. In the Bible, you won't find this word, but, well, sometimes, depending on the translation. But sanctification is a kind of church word that we often use. It basically means the act or process of being made or becoming holy. The process of change of which we continually change and transform and are set apart to acquire the heart and mind of Christ. Change is expected of all believers. Again, change is expected by God of all believers. Some examples of this. In Romans 12, 2, it says that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says that we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and Galatians 6, 15 speak to how we are to be new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. Throughout Scripture, we see change to people, to our hearts, to those who believe. You know, God created us in his image. He wants us to be more like him. 
to be like him, to reflect him. One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. And in his book, Mere Christianity, he says, the more we get to, the more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. So what he's saying is the truest form of ourselves, the truest form of who we are meant to be is what God has called us to be. When he created mankind, he created this perfect world. And sin destroyed that, right? We've heard those stories. So we have to get ourselves out of the way and be more like him. So he describes this initial change here in verses 20 and 21 through kind of four ways. He says that they came to know Christ, that they came to know him. Well, how did they come to know him? They heard about Christ, they were taught in Christ, and they found the truth in Jesus. They experienced truth, and that truth radically changed them. And that's how they came to know him. In the Bible, oftentimes, what we translate into English as the word know isn't just talking about head knowledge. To know something in the Bible means it's rooted in your heart. When they speak of man and woman becoming one, or physical relations, they speak of how that person knew the other person. When we talk about knowing God, it's not just a, oh yeah, I've heard the stories, I know about him. It's, I know him personally. So to know Christ comes from hearing about him, being taught in him, and understanding the life-changing truth of who he is. So when we look at these, we understand that this isn't just an instantaneous transition. It takes time. You don't hear and are taught something to the point of knowing it is life-changing truth in one setting. Life change is a continual process. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Until the day of Christ Jesus. That means until you see him face to face when you pass away from this world and go on to the next, or until he comes back, he is constantly ever-changing you, or should be. There should be a relationship with him that results in continual change. But here's the thing. Anyone can hear about the teaching of Christ. And anyone can be taught about Christ. In fact, many people even understand the truth of Christ, or at least as they've read. But here's the thing. Many atheists have read the Bible cover to cover, but still do not believe. They, I know some atheists who spend time digging over the scriptures just because they want to prove Christians wrong with their futile thinking. Even the demons acknowledge who Jesus is. We see that in scripture. They know who Jesus is. They know he's the son of God, yet they still follow the will of Satan. Just because you know something up here doesn't mean you know it here. And sometimes I fear that a lot of people are missing heaven by a matter of about 14 inches. A lot of people can grow up in church and may sit in the building that you call a church every single Sunday and hear these things, but until they are truly discipled and they understand what that change means, it's head knowledge. An example of maybe a practical application of this. I could read in a manual that tells me all about how to change the engine in a car, to take it out and all the tools I need, and I can read all that stuff. I could pour over, I could memorize that book. 
But does it do me a lick of good if I never actually change the engine of a car? No. I could learn. My wife is a, a software engineer and knows how to write thousands of lines of code. And to me, it just looks like the matrix, but she understands it. I could, I could learn how to do that. I could read all those things and I could understand it maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but unless I actually do it, that knowledge is worthless, right? It's futile. It doesn't matter if I learn all that stuff if it's never actually put into application. Well, likewise, people can know everything about Jesus and still miss heaven because they never actually let the Holy Spirit radically change them because they did not give their life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They just did their cultural duty to show up in a building we call a church on Sundays. Billy Graham himself said that our churches are probably 80% full of people going to hell because it's all up here. So I'm begging you, know Jesus personally. So I, I, I love that right up here on this podium, if you've never actually been up here on the stage, there's a little uh, piece of metal here that says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. And at this time, I just want to take a moment. If you don't know Jesus, I cannot begin to tell you what you're missing out on. <laughs> this world is broken. Sin entered God's perfect world, and that relationship was broken. We could not make ourselves right with God. In the Old Testament, there were sacrifices that were made for forgiveness, but no sacrifice could ever perfectly atone for the horrible rottenness of our sin. That's why they kept making sacrifices over and over. Eventually, God said, I need to be the perfect sacrifice so we can get this right. So God himself stepped down out of heaven in the form of Jesus his son, one God, Father, Spirit, Son. God stepped into our world, lived a perfect, sinless life, showed people the way that God had always intended them to go, where they had become legalistic with their rules and the Pharisees and Sadducees had made it all about a checklist of do's and don'ts. God said it's about a relationship with God the Father. And then he was willing to die a criminal's death on a cross to take on one of the most worst, most horrible, painful, agonizing ways to die imaginable. If you were to look up the medical things that happen, I've seen where modern doctors have done a medical analysis of the crucifixion. It is gut-wrenchingly painful to read. But our God did that for us to be the perfect sacrifice so we could be made right and have relationship with God the Father again. And because of that, God then sent his spirit to those who give their lives to him, that God himself takes root in your heart, your spirit, and he changes you. It changes the way you see the world. It changes the way that you love others, the way you work, the way you go to school. The Holy Spirit radically changes to where every breath is meant for God's glory, not yours. It's people sometimes say, oh, well, when I become a Christian, I don't get to do this. I don't get to do this. I don't get to do this. Well, half those things usually in excess lead to pain and death. When we become a Christian, he sets us free from sin and shame to live a life of joy. And I know that sometimes it's not always joyful. We still have death. We still have pain. We still have frustrations. But yet when that Holy Spirit is changing you, it gives you the strength to go, to face that pain, that suffering. And it is one of those beautiful things you can ever imagine. And I promise you, 
I've experienced it in such a way that I wish everyone else had it. So most of the rest of the sermon won't make sense if you have not given your life to Jesus. And today, I urge you, if you don't know Christ, make that right. It's so, he is so worth it. The Holy Spirit guiding your life is just such a beautiful, wonderful thing that you, it's just hard to even describe until you've experienced it. So as we continue on, one of the big aspects of this is that we have to die to ourselves. We have to get rid of our selfish desires. Again, popping back over to uh, C.S. Lewis, um, he kind of reminds us that God wants to kill the sinful nature in us. Like he wants to get rid of that selfishness, that pain, that suffering, that arrogantness, the pridefulness, the gossip, the lying, the cheating, the anger, the hate. C.S. Lewis said, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it, but to have it out. When Christ radically changes, it should get rid of our old self. The changed life means a movement, a powerful change. And one of the practical ways that this happens is reading God's word. And so this isn't a sermon to say, okay, y'all, read your Bibles, but you should. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, it changes your want-tos. I know people say, well, I'm not much of a reader. Well, I get that. And I hate to break it to you, but this is how God has revealed himself to mankind. It's a book. Now, the beauty of change is now we have the book written in hundreds of languages. We have it recorded to where if you don't like to sit and read on words on a page, maybe it's hard for you to read, maybe you can't read, maybe you're dyslexic, and reading is a chore. Well, good news, the Bible is right there where you can hear it for free through apps on your phone, read by wonderfully chill uh, British guys. <laughs> That's one, when I was in seminary, I would sometimes, I had to read every book of the Bible, and when I was cramming it into six-week classes, it was a lot to read in one setting, so sometimes I was reading my Bible while mowing my yard and listening to this nice British man read it to me. It's there. If you have been changed by Christ, you should want to spend time knowing him, digging into his word. Some of you may have a long commute to work every day. Bust out that digital Bible on your phone and let the word of God pour over you. It changes your want-tos. So, again... Knowledge without application is worthless. We can sit in all the Bible studies we want, but until we actually apply it and let it change our way of thinking, what's the point? And what's the point if it doesn't change you? There's a reason that God has done this. So, continuing on, let's look at saying, off with the old and in with the new. That's kind of the third point, you know, phrase we've all heard. I'm not going to read all of these verses because there's a lot and I need to kind of be wrapping up here, but here we see that change needs to happen. And so here Paul kind of breaks it down like, all right, this is what a changed life looks like. You got to get rid of that old self, put on the new. So the goal is to always be perseeking. Yeah. The goal is to always be pursuing holiness. It's not just being good. 
Like if you make your walk with God a checklist of, okay, well, I have to read my Bible X number of minutes each day, pray for X number of minutes each day, make sure I go to church on this many Sundays a month, you know, that kind of thing, you're missing the point. When you love someone, you want to spend time with them. I love my wife. And if me telling her I love you, I said, okay, well, I got to tell you I love you each day. I love you, sweetie. Done. Don't have to do that anymore today. Is that love? No. She would not be happy by that. I tell her I love her because she is amazing. And God has given me a wife that I love dearly. Everything about her is beautiful to me. And because I love her so much, I tell her I love her regularly. Same with my kids. Like their heads come off the pillow and sometimes they come and get on our pillows and it's a little frustrating at first. But once I'm awake enough, one of the first things I tell our kids every morning is I love you and I hug them because I want to be around them. I want to be with them. When you love someone, you spend time with them. If you love God, spend time with him. You might say, well, I don't have time to sit and read my Bible. Well, what do you have time for? Just saying. Think of your day. Some of you got plenty of time to watch your favorite shows or your favorite sporting events or listen to music or play video games or, you know, a lot of other things. And many of these things are good. I'm not saying that those are all inherently bad. But if we can make time for these things, but we don't have time to spend with God each and every day, do we really love him? So what change is happening in your heart? So what does the new man look like specifically? In uh, these verses, Paul kind of puts it out. Uh, in the first part of verse 25, he says that we need to put away lying and speak in truth. That we need to put away lying and speak in truth. That we need to be one with the body. That there should be unity in the church. You know, he says that, uh, you know, because that we should each, you should speak in truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Again, he's talking to the church. So these one another's here, he's talking about, specifically talking about to the body of Christ, from us to our fellow body of Christ people, but also beyond these walls. But primarily he's talking about unity in the body here. Um, that in our anger, we don't sin. That's a hard thing. Because we also see throughout Scripture, I mean, even Jesus got angry. I saw someone wearing a shirt just the other day that says, I'm like one step away from flipping tables like Jesus. You know, he was not happy in that moment when he saw the temple being desecrated in that way. He was angry. It was a righteous anger. And, <clears throat> but yeah, I don't say when you get angry, you start going flipping tables everywhere. There should be a proper holy reason for your anger. But in your anger, don't sin. That when we're angry it's real hard to not say the wrong thing. When we're angry about things, it's real easy to just point out everyone else's faults. We see that online a lot. Everyone's really tough when they're an armchair operative sitting on their phones texting a person without actually being face-to-face. -face. When we're angry about sin, I get it. Lost people act lost. Being hateful to them is not going to point them to Jesus. So in our anger, we cannot sin. Even when that sin of a lost and dying world makes us angry, we are to preach the truth in love. We are to have a kind answer that turns away wrath. We should point people to Jesus, to salvation, to hope, to a life change that then would lead them out of that sin. Not to just point out how awful they are and to complain about sinful people acting sinful, lost people acting lost. But then he moves on, he talks about in verse 28, that the thief should no longer steal. 
Now, we often think of the thief as being the devil and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Here he's literally saying, if you work diligently and provide for yourself and others, you have no need to steal. Don't let the thief steal anymore. Let him work hard. Let the body of Christ provide for one another in need by being fruitful, working hard, and being diligent in that. Be encouraging to one another and building each other up, not tearing them down. I know sometimes we look at this verse that says, uh, no uh, uh, foul language, and we just equate that to cuss words. Foul language is in the Greek that's being used here is less about particular words that we call bad and more about the kind of language that cuts other people down. Again, social media is an easy place for people to cut down other people and not look like Christ. Think about your interactions. Build each other up. Don't cut each other down. Don't complain and gossip. Build each other up, especially within the body of Christ. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, verse uh, uh, 30. Now, we might say, well, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Uh, the Greek word, lupeo, which it points out there, is, means to cause pain or sorrow, to grieve. Uh, James MacDonald, in his book, I Really Want to Change, So Help Me God, says, um, like a parent grieving or being sad over their children's disobedience or bad choices, we cause the Holy Spirit pain and sorrow when we don't do what we are supposed to do. Again, when you're not living that changed life, you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to change you, it causes God grief. It causes the Holy Spirit grief. So think about our actions. Think about what we're doing. And in verses 31, 32, get rid of hurtful, divisive attitudes and actions and replace them with love and forgiveness. We see that all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander must be removed along with malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God forgave you in Christ. So as we wrap up here, if you take nothing away from this sermon, it's this. God loves you. He provided hope for you. And he wants to change you in a life-changing, radical relationship with him that is greater than anything you can ever imagine. But we have to be willing to let the Holy Spirit take root and change us. In other places, there's a whole, I mean, you could do a whole sermon series on this one passage alone, but we see elsewhere where in the Bible, it tells us that believers in the church were still acting like babies. They were still focusing so much on the basic truths of the word of God that they should have been onto the meat. They should have been onto the steak, but they're still drinking the milk. I ask you this, do you know Jesus personally and are you letting him change you? Are you still drinking the milk when you need to be moving on to the deeper truths of the word of God? Are you spending time with him every day, spending time with the creator of the universe who loves you, who died for you, who wants you to live a better life? We need to spend time with him. And that will radically change us. That will change our church. That will change our community. If we want to see lost people come to know him, start with yourself. Start changing. Let God's word not just be taught, but let it change you. At this time, I'm going to have the praise team come, on, come back up, and we're going to go into a time of response. And I firmly believe that any time the Word of God is preached and taught, there should be a response. Our heart should respond in some way. For some of you this morning, you might be saying, I have no idea what a relationship with Jesus looks like. I've never done that. I don't know what that means. 
I would love to talk to you. And today might be the day that you need to say, I want Jesus. Some of you may have accepted Christ years ago. And you might be sitting here thinking, I really... player, I build up palaces on my fingertips. And eventually, it loses feeling. It loses sensitivity. Now, for guitar playing, that's a good thing, but a callous heart is life-threatening. Let your heart be permeable. Let it be moldable by the Holy Spirit of a loving God who wants to make you more like Him. If you need to grow in your relationship with Christ, right now, maybe you need to just sit and say, God, Start changing my heart. Maybe you need to join this church. Maybe you're saying, I want to be where God is changing people. And this is a place for you. Maybe this morning you just need to say, God, I don't know where I am, but I want more of you. And maybe your response is to simply worship him, to praise him for who he is. Because every time the word of God is preached, there is a response. The response may be a decision. The response may be worship. Let's sing, and if you need to come talk to me, um, I'll be here at the front while the praise team sings a song. And, uh, yeah, God, I ask that during this time, hearts will be changed, that we would be willing to let your heart become our heart, your will our will, that, God, you would take root in our life and lead us to repentance, lead us to change, lead us to a new life, to put off the old dying sinful man and put on holiness because you are holy and we are to be like you. God, move in this time. And Lord, let us leave here more like you than when we came in. Let us leave here and reflect you in such a way that people want what we have. We ask all this in your name. Amen.